Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in multiple locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information on our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. So I, I grew up in a church, uh, it was a traditional church, um, a, little, a little different than Revo. Um, the, the preaching was the same. My dad was the pastor, and so my dad is the one that taught me how to preach. And so the preaching is, it was pretty, pretty much the same, um, but the music, I'll admit, the music was a lot different. It was a traditional church. We had a, a piano and a big old grand piano and a pipe organ, and there was like a, a, a brass quintet and, and strings and all that kind of stuff. And uh, my dad wore a suit like a boss every Sunday, wore a suit. And uh, man, I, so that's the setting I grew up in. A little bit different uh, than, than what we do here. Not wrong, uh, just different. I don't know what kind of church you grew up in, but kind of, I've noticed something about churches, uh, like the music, that's, that's the big thing. Like if, if there's a difference in a church, uh, normally people are gonna ask, well, like what kind of music, uh, what kind of music do you have? I've, I've been to churches um, where uh, the music, you don't even have to be a part of the band or a part of the team, the choir, to be a part of the music. I've been to churches before where, especially right here in the front row sections, you will see just random people with tambourines. I don't know if you've ever been to one of these churches or not, but like it just, whatever moment in the service that you think the beat drops, like you just jump in there with your tambourine or whatever your, whatever your music of choice is, whatever instrument you want to bring into the house. Uh, like everybody is a part of the worship team. So you got a, a lot of, of, of tambourines playing. The band is out in the audience as well. Uh, I've been to churches before where uh, it, it, it's, I, I guess it's just a little bit more charismatic uh, than, than Revo is uh, because you can look out into the audience and there's people waving flags, like big flags um, during the service. And I've been to services before where uh, people dance, right? So I grew up in a traditional Baptist church. You went to hell if you danced, if anybody caught you dancing. <laughs> but these people are like dancing in the church and not catching on fire. It's awesome. And uh, so that's different, you know, different. I can't dance. So I'm not going to do it. It's not my spiritual gift, uh, but they're doing it. And uh, I've, I've actually been in a church where it got, it got so intense that uh, people were running up and down the aisles. You ever been to a, a running church? Uh, like run down the aisle this way, cut across the front, run back that way. And it's just laps. It's, and it's spiritual. I, I, I mean, I guess, and I, I, maybe they're just trying to get the steps in and, and they don't want to sit, but they, they're fired up about it. And uh, so I, I've, I've been to churches like that. We're just like worship's different. It's not, not wrong or, or right. It's, it's just different. Sometimes the worship, this, this attitude and the engagement goes beyond the music though, right? Sometimes uh, people get a little rowdy even during the message. You ever been to like a talk back church? <laughs> Some of you are like, mm-hmm, right, right. <laughs> so sometimes people in the audience will talk back to the preacher when he's preaching and, and the, the pastor will say something that they agree with and, you know, they'll be like, oh, preach that, preach preacher. And like, they're getting excited about it. And, and you know, there's always like a, there's like a yes group. Like anytime the pastor has something good, it's like, mm, yes, yes, right? Yes, you know these people. And uh, not wrong, just different. And uh, so like a lot of engagement, uh, a lot of emotion, even, even during the, the, the preaching and just kind of commenting back and forth. I remember the first time I ever visited a church like that. Uh, we had a, a family friend that invited me to church. And uh, so I was like, sure, I'm gonna go. 
and uh, walked into the room. I was the only white kid in the whole room. I was like, this doesn't bother me at all. Like, so we're going to church. I grew up in church my whole life. Three hours later, <laughs> I walk up out that church. I was like, bro, I'm looking at my buddy. I'm like, listen, I think you love Jesus more than I do. I'm going to tell you that. I can't believe you do this every Sunday, man. Oh, my goodness. I know some of y'all, when it hits 12 o'clock, you're all like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Like 12 o'clock, the sermon hadn't even started at this church yet. Like we, people were just starting to sweat and like hit the rag over their forehead and stuff like that. So like a lot of, every church is different, a lot of, a lot of differences in that. But, but it mostly revolves around this word uh, that, that people like to think it's worship. And I used to think uh, that worship was the music portion of the service. You know, if you've ever invited somebody to Revo, they'll probably ask you, what type of worship is it? They want to know what type of music is being played. And, uh, but, but worship isn't actually the, the, just the music part of it. I know even, even Kristen, she runs our, our worship ministry here at Revo, and we call her our, our worship leader. And what does she do? She sings and she plays all the instruments and organizes the band across all the campuses. And, and so even for us, kind of, we can use that, that word worship as symbol of what we just did with all of the singing and then the guy comes up and preaches the message and then and then we do one more worship uh to close out the the service but uh, i i, I want to argue with you that worship is a lot more than that it's a, it's a lot more than singing or a, a lot more than just the style of the way that you that you do things when, when i say worship what do you think about what comes to mind? How would you define that? Well, I want to give you my definition of worship, connecting all pulling the strings in on how this relates to today, which is Palm Sunday. If you're taking notes, jot this down, or if you have your app, here, here's my definition of worship, really simple and straightforward. Uh, worship is your response to what God has done for you. It's not just singing. It's not just music. It's not waving flags and running up and down and dancing like that that that's maybe a part of it but worship is an overall your response to what God has done for you and so when we talk about the Easter story worship is a huge part of the Easter story in fact it's one of the big three when I introduced this series last week I told you there's there's three big stories that people think about when they think about Easter uh, there's the Lord's Supper there's Palm Sunday, which is today, and then there's resurrection. There's the, the empty tomb on, on Sunday morning. Those are the three big stories. But, but the part of the Easter egg theme here is there are a lot of little hidden, lesser known stories that make up this story. And we, we talk about worship. I know today is Palm Sunday. And I want to I want to introduce that story to us as we talk about worship. There are pastors all over the world right now opening up the Bible to John chapter 12 and they're going to read the story of Palm Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. It's a story you're you're probably familiar with. Let me let me read you what most pastors and churches are reading this morning as they gather. In verse 12 it says the next day the great crowd that had come for the festival, the Passover festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So they took palm branches and they went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. In verse 14, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. There it is, there's Palm Sunday. 
this big scene in the Easter story where people are worshiping. They're, they're lining the streets, shouting and clapping and yelling Hosanna and singing. And they're laying palm branches on the, the road for Jesus to walk in on, on the donkey. They're taking their coats off and laying them on the road. This was like the first century equivalent of rolling the red carpet out. You know, this is just something reserved for real important people, VIPs, uh, royalty. Is, is what this scene is. And the people were worshiping Jesus. And that's where we get this theme for Palm Sunday. But I wanna, I wanna throw a word to you that, that maybe, it was in that verse 12, I don't know if you caught it or not, it was an Easter egg in the Easter story. It's maybe a word that you just glanced over, but, but this is the word we're gonna talk about today. Back in verse 12, look, look how verse 12 starts. It says, the next day. There it is, man. Maybe you just read over that. What John is saying is the story of Palm Sunday actually starts where Saturday left off. Because the story is the next day, John's saying something happened yesterday that leads us to Palm Sunday. I know we're talking about Sunday, but Saturday night, you can't get to Sunday without talking about Saturday night. And so John plants this little Easter egg here for us to say, hey, heads up, you need to look into what happened on Saturday before you roll into Sunday morning, Palm Sunday. So Saturday night is actually the story that we're going to talk about on Sunday morning. Because you can't have worship without this story right here. You can't have the, the Easter story and Palm Sunday without first happening to glance back in that same chapter in the story that happened right before Jesus walks in. So I want to talk about Saturday night before Palm Sunday. And that story actually starts in verse 1. Check this out. This is the, this is the real story of worship and Palm Sunday. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among them, reclining at the table with Jesus. Now, how would you like, did you see how Lazarus was introduced? Like, he's like, Lazarus, the man that Jesus raised from the dead, right? That's got to be a pretty cool nickname, right? Like every time he introduced himself, remember the story of Lazarus when Mary and Martha were crying and upset because Jesus didn't make it to their house in time to heal Lazarus and he died. And then like three or four days later, Jesus strolls into town like there's no big deal and raises Lazarus from the dead. And from that point on, his name was not just Lazarus, it was Lazarus, the dude that Jesus raised from the dead. <laughs> and that's how he's introduced in this story. Jesus is invited over to a dinner at these people's house. And here's how I wanna set the stage for, if you're taking notes, jot this down. Here's the first aspect of worship that we can learn from this important text. Number one is this, worship is personal, but it's not private. Your response to what God has done for you is personal, but it's not private. You ever met people that when you start talking about faith or their relationship with God, they'll look at you and say, hey man, that's, that's kind of private, right? I mean, that's just between, my relationship with God is just between me and God. So I don't need to do it in public. I don't need it for it to be open. You don't need to know what my relationship with God is like. My faith is very private. The only thing wrong with that is that's not what the Bible says. Your faith is personal. How you respond to what God has done in your life is very personal. It'll be different for every person in here, but it's not private. In fact, it's very public. Look at what Mary and Martha and Lazarus do. They could have very easily to thank Jesus for raising Lazarus from the dead, they could have wrote him a thank you note. 
Just said, this is just to Jesus, right? Slip a little Olive Garden gift card in there. Thank you for raising Lazarus. Enjoy this pasta right here. Never ending pasta bowl. Enjoy this, Jesus. They could have done that. They could have done a private dinner party with Jesus. Like just Jesus, just gonna be Jesus. And then the three of us, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they're brothers and sisters, and we're gonna do steaks. I can't invite everybody over because we're gonna do steaks, but it's gonna be nice. And uh, it's gonna be fun and just a little private, but that's not what happens. In fact, scripture tells us that it was a, a public ordeal. They invited Lazarus, Mary, Martha, and their family, and, and Jesus and his 12 disciples, and, and Jesus traveled with a crew that, that helped do ministry with him. And so like, there could have very easily been over 20 people at this dinner party that they pulled all of the stops out for. This was a very public dinner party. And you gotta know, listen, you gotta know that Martha pulled out all the stops when Jesus comes over. Listen, when Jesus comes over to your house, you don't eat bologna sandwiches, okay? Like you eat the best. You don't eat off paper plates. You pull that china out that you've never had eaten off of before and you lay it all out like you do this every day, right? That, that, that's, that would have been the setting that, that they found themselves in, very public, very expensive. And think about the pressure that would have been on Martha. You ever cooked for your family like on a holiday, like on Thanksgiving or Christmas? Like there's a lot of pressure with that. Uh, like it's got to be done on time and you don't want to burn it, right? You don't want to be the person that invites the whole family over and you're the host at Thanksgiving and you burn the turkey. Like you don't want, and for Martha, she knew this, anything that happened around Jesus could very easily turn into a sermon illustration. Like don't think that, that I'm not watching everything y'all do and be like, I'm gonna talk about that this week. Yeah, I'm gonna change the name to protect the innocent, but I'm gonna talk, I need to mention that right there. This same thing with Jesus. Martha knew, listen, if I invite Jesus over and I burn this green bean casserole, my, my face is gonna be in the Bible for thousands of years as the woman that burned the meal when Jesus came over. And then Jesus had to come over and put a cloth over the green bean casserole and pray over it. And then when he turned it over, it was sweet potato casserole, enough for everybody to eat. Like, I don't wanna be that, I don't wanna be that girl in the story. So I'm not doing it. So tons of pressure on Martha. She pulls out all the stops, but I want you to notice something. Even after they had a very public dinner party, thanking Jesus for what he had done, their response, to what God had done in their life. Even after they ate off the fine china and pulled out all of the incredible accoutrements that accompany a meal of that grandeur, Mary looks around and says, this isn't enough. I, I, listen, I, I know this is a nice meal. And I know this is nice fine china and there's a lot of people in here and we opened up our house and, and like we, 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 we spent a lot of money on this food, but this, this is not enough. Watch what happens in verse three. It says, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus's feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Mary looked back and said, I know we've already done a lot, but um, this man deserves more. After all he's done for me. Here's what Mary realized that you and I need to realize about worship. Number two, jot it down. We give because we already got. I don't even know if that's the right English. I just like the way it flows. We give because we already got. Mary knew what Jesus had done for her. Every time she looked at her brother, every time she hugged him, every time they took a family photo together, she realized if it weren't for Jesus, he wouldn't be here. There are blessings that you have in your life that if it weren't for God, they wouldn't be there. 
And I would encourage you, if you're having a little problem getting into the worship mood, just take a second and look around you. Look at all the things that God has provided. Look at your family and your friends. Look at your health, your job, your house, your food, the fact that you're breathing right now. You have a lot to be thankful for. And if you're looking at at what God has given you as the precursor to what you are gonna give to him in worship, everything is right there in front of you. Mary knew it. Every time she saw Lazarus, every time anybody saw Lazarus, they would point at him and be like, that's Lazarus the man that Jesus resurrected from the grave. And I hope that as you see your life, you realize that there are things that you have right now that you wouldn't have without God. There are doors that were opened that wouldn't have been opened without him. There are blessings that you enjoy each and every day that without him would be impossible. And our act of worship, what we respond and how we respond to God is based on this little idea. We give because we already got. I'm convinced that most people miss worship because they miss all that God has done in their life. See, you don't have a worship problem. You've got a memory problem. You forgot the goodness of God. You forgot how many times he's blessed you. You forgot how many times he made a way when you didn't think there was a way. You forgot how many prayers he answered. You don't have a worship problem. We gotta stop and remember who God is and what God has done. She gets this uh, bottle of perfume. Mary says, this isn't enough. This dinner is not enough. Like God has done too much for me. I need to give based on what I have gotten from God. And she takes this expensive bottle of perfume in what had to have been a super awkward moment. She takes this perfume, goes into the room and starts to pour it on Jesus's feet. And the the whole bottle pours on his feet and begins to wipe it with her hair. And like, I would have loved to have seen what was going on in that room right then. Like how people are responding. What was Jesus doing? What was Mary doing? Like all the disciples are like, what in the world is going on here? It says that the perfume was so, it was such a, a large gift that the, the smell of the perfume began to fill the entire house, right? That's the smell of Easter we're talking about here. I know you got scented candles that smell like peeps and Cadbury cream eggs, but this is the original scented candle of Easter, nard. Nard actually uh, comes from an an herb called spike nard. It's only found in India. And as a reminder, uh, Mary and Martha did not have an Amazon account where they got two-day free delivery. This perfume would have had to travel from India all the way to Bethany by hand. It was an expensive gift, incredibly expensive. In fact, we actually know how much it costs based on the next verse. The next verse tells us that, that this was a gift, check this out, that was 300 denarii, which is 300 days wage. Back out the weekends, that is your annual salary. Like I want you to get this. Mary gave Jesus a gift that, w- that was the equivalent of the average annual salary of someone living in the first century. Think about this. Think about right now how much your annual salary is, how much you make in a year. Some of you might be depressed about that. But just think about, think about that number. Can you imagine giving that entire amount to Jesus in one, one swoop? One, one, one gift, stroke in one check for that entire amount. 
Like, I, I can't even fathom that. Like, like, I don't even own anything that is our family's entire yearly income. Like, much less, like, Mary just had this in her house. She's like, let me go get this huge gift, this expensive gift, and pour it out on, on Jesus' feet. Who would do a thing like that? I'll tell you who. Someone that gives because they know what they've already got. Someone that has an idea of all that God has done for them, and they're asking themselves the question, what is my response? How incredible would it be if we took a moment and worshiped like Mary? If we were well aware of everything that God had done for us, and and instead of asking the question, what do I have to give? Start asking the question, what would be a good gift in response to what God has done for me? Most people would have looked at Mary and said, why did you give that much? And Mary's response would be, why wouldn't you give that much when he's done that much for you? Incredible show of, of worship as, as Mary drops a bag on this perfume and then just pours it out at Jesus' feet. In verse four, we read kind of a response of, of one of the guys that happened to be in the room. Verse four, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why, wait, why, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to keep him to himself a little bit what was put into it. Judas was the type of guy that he was the treasurer of Jesus's ministry, right? And here's what Jesus or Judas would do. He would skim off the top. Judas was essentially, leave it up to Judas to mess up a good moment, right? Like Mary's doing this extravagant act of worship. Jesus is obviously, you're going to see how he responded in a second. Everybody's awestruck. And then Judas steps in with his big mouth and he's like, hey, hold up. You poured that out? Dude, we could have, we could have sold that. That could have funded a lot of ministry right there. Like we got bills to pay, man. We got to eat. Like we got to pay these bills for Jesus, like we're all in this, you, you, that, that was a mistake right there. You should have given that to me so that we could sell it and we could put this money in, in the bag for our ministry expenses. So Jesus, or Judas was the treasurer. Judas was essentially like, if you ever played Monopoly, Judas was the banker in Monopoly. I love being the banker in Monopoly because I get to control all the money. And so if you pass go, and you collect $200, then I'm gonna go over here to the bank, I'm gonna give you $200, and then I'm gonna give myself 20 as a processing and handling fee because I'm the banker. Right? So I have control of all the money. If I need to like, get a loan from the bank at a good interest rate, I'm gonna get it. Like, I'm gonna do, if I run out of 20s, I'm gonna grab a handful while nobody else is watching. Like I'm the banker, everybody wants to be the banker in Monopoly. That was Judas. Anytime somebody, Jesus is doing miracles, preaching great sermons, the money comes in, Judas is like, I'm going to take this to the bank for us, fellas. Don't worry about it. And he's taking some, putting it in his pocket, skimming some off the top. He was a thief. He was stealing it. And what a contrast between Judas and, and Mary here. What a contrast in worship. Mary is generous and Judas is greedy. Mary is humble and Judas is arrogant. Mary is selfless. Judas is self-centered. 
All he can think about is himself. Mary kneels in humble adoration of Jesus. And Judas is off in the corner with his arms crossed, sulking and complaining that what's going on is not the way that he wants it. When Judas asks, why did you give that much? Mary says, why wouldn't you give that much when you understand what Jesus has done for you? Huge contrast. Which one are you? When we talk about worship and our life and our attitudes and our words and our thoughts, are you more like Judas or are you more like Mary? And what a game changer it would be if we were like Mary and we looked at what God has done for us and says, he deserves more. No, seriously, after, after all God has done for me, he deserves more not out of obligation, not out of guilt. You're not trying to buy your way to God and and gain his favor. Mary was just like, I just know what God has done for me and he deserves more. And so she took the most expensive thing that she had and Judas had an objection to it. I I can tell you this about life and leadership. The, The loudest boos come from the cheapest seats. Judas hadn't put anything in. He had no skin in the game. In fact, he was stealing stuff, and yet he was the first one to complain about the generosity of someone else. It's so easy to criticize the people that are doing it when you're standing on the sidelines doing nothing. That's Judas, and that's Mary, the story of of worship in this text. So Jesus, what did Jesus think about this? Verse 7 Judas is mouthing off. Jesus pipes up. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You'll always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. There's another Easter egg that John puts in this story. There's some significance behind this perfume that comes from the spike nard herb. This nard was used uh, only at funerals. Uh, See, after someone died, their body would become decomposed and would stink really bad. And so it was very common for people to bring flowers and perfume and herbs to put all over the body. That's where we get our modern day tradition of bringing flowers to a funeral. They used to bring flowers to a funeral so that everybody at the funeral service didn't have to smell how bad the body stunk. And so Mary brought out the funeral perfume. And Jesus says, you guys don't get it, do you? She brought out the funeral perfume because she knows in a few days I'll die. It's all foreshadowing. It's an Easter egg. You miss that. You're you're so worried about how much it costs and why did she do that that you miss the fact that I've been telling you that I'm gonna give my life for the sins of mankind, That, that my life will be given as a ransom for many and Mary gets it. Mary understood what she was doing. Here's how the story closes in verse nine. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and that he had come. And they came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests, the religious people, made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Third, last thing I want you to write down is this, uh, this big. Your worship can change other people's lives. Your worship, your response to what God has done for you can change other people's lives. Scripture says as a result of this dinner party, people began to realize Jesus is in town and he's with Lazarus, the guy that he raised from the dead. And they are worshiping Jesus. They're responding to what Jesus has done for them. 
And scripture says that the crowds began to grow and that many people were coming to Christ. Many Jews were switching teams to follow Jesus. Why? Because a family threw a dinner party and worshiped. Because a lady gave an extravagant gift based on what had already been given to her and the fragrance filled the room. Their worship paved the way for other people's lives to be changed. Hey, if you're a parent, the way you worship God right now can pave the way for your son or daughter's life to be changed. If you're a friend of somebody that doesn't know Jesus, man, your invitation this week to an Easter egg hunt or to a Good Friday service or to Easter Sunday could change their life. That could be the step that it takes for them to meet Jesus. Your worship, your boldness, your generosity, what you do with your time and talents and treasure has the ability. That's why it's so important that it's public. Their actions as a family resulted in more and more and more people coming into a relationship with Jesus. The, the, the numbers were growing so much that the Bible says, like the Roman government said, we got to stop this before this thing turns into a movement. This guy is becoming too powerful. So not only are we going to crucify Jesus, we got to kill Lazarus too. In which I'd say, you see how that went the first time? <laughs> but we, man, we got, we got to pipe this guy's worship down. Too many things, too many people's lives are changing because of what this family is doing. Worship, your worship, the way you respond to what God has done for you can change other people's lives. If the purpose of Palm Sunday is to focus on worship, then I think the story of Palm Sunday is actually only the second best story about worship in the Easter story. Because on Palm Sunday, hundreds of people lined the streets singing and clapping and worshiping and giving and sacrificing and doing all the right things on the outside. But historians tell us that many of the same people that lined the street on Palm Sunday shouting Hosanna, worshiping Jesus, was the same crowd that a few days later began to yell, crucify him. You see how fast they turned? Because Palm Sunday wasn't true worship. Saturday night was. It wasn't this surface level display of affection on Palm Sunday. It was the humble, personal, public, intimate display of worship by Mary on Saturday night that gives you a good picture of what real worship is. When we see how this woman responded, her worship was real, personal, but not private. It was extravagant because she knew the gift that God had given her. She knew what God had done for her. And she said, he deserves more than just this. And out of that attitude, out of that overflow, we begin to see Mary worship in a real way. So which one of those is you? Which, which one of those worship styles is, is you? Is that what your worship does of Jesus? Is it just hollow words, empty singing, just going through the motions on a Sunday morning, just like the people that lined the street on Palm Sunday? Or do you really understand all that God has done for you? Do you really understand that your relationship with God is very personal, but it's not designed to be private? Do you know the power in your worship has the ability to change other people's lives around you? 
I hope that this Palm Sunday, you'll worship like Mary, that you'll do an evaluation and not be like Judas, it was overly critical. Not be like the crowd on the side of the road that was super shallow and would change with the, the shifting of the wind, but like Mary, who gives us a real, authentic, heartfelt worship style right there on the floor of that house on a Saturday night as she defines what the real smell of Easter really is. Let me pray for you. God, thanks for this example from scripture today for the gut check of how we respond to what you've done for us. God, forgive me for the times where I was like Judas uh, with a critical complaining spirit where I wanted to make it all about me, where it was self-centered and self-serving. Forgive me for the times where I'm like the people on the side of the road yelling your praises and getting all excited and emotional about it only to to see that wane in latter days. God, help us to be more like Mary and in humility respond to you in a way that would show honor to the things that you have done for us. God, help us to be people that understand that you sent your only son to die the death that we should have died so that we could live the life that we could never obtain on our own. God, give us the wisdom to know with what to do with the words that we have just heard. Pray and ask those things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Revo Podcast. We believe everyone has a next step to take in their relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information on what that means for you, or if you have any questions about today's message, please email us at info at discoverrevo.com.